everybody, before we get into this week's show, I just want to let you know, behind the scenes, Merkle Media has been doing a rebrand for The Confessionals, and we are launching today our new website and logo. Especially if you're a member, head on over to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. Check out the new vibe on the website, the new logo, the nice, fresh, clean logo. I think you guys will get it. If you know, you know kind of thing with the logo. I love it. I dig it. I hope you like it too. Now let's get to this week's show. Merkel Media. This was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. Saw three long bony fingers reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear. When he came over to me, dude, he slithered over to me. And this giant comes out of the cave, and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. Well, the giant moves, he's got a spear in one hand, and he's running really fast, and spears Dan and holds him up like this. Somebody else, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face, they basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer, when he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge and I blow his head off. I feel something pulling at my leg, and I look over and there are two small gray entities pulling at me. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I reached my hand into this bush and I touched air. Couldn't breathe and I couldn't move because I know I'm seeing a monster. Welcome to the show, everybody. You're listening to The Confessionals Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Merkel. Thanks for being here. If you have a crazy, wild experience you want to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is contact at theconfessionalspodcast.com. That's contact at theconfessionalspodcast.com. Or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the contact section and you can reach me that way as well. Either works for me, just get a hold of me. If you want to become a member, go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com and sign up and you can get access to all the membership episodes on the website and on the app. And you get the Tuesday shows ad free and overtime segments when they are available right there on the newly minted theconfessionalspodcast.com or on the appy. All right, friends, before we get into this week's show, I just want to kind of break down what we got going on here with the confessionals. Behind the scenes for the past, I'd say, four or five months, we've been working on a rebrand, this idea of launching a new logo, a new website simultaneously. And there are some other new things coming that just aren't coinciding with the timing of the launch of the website and the logo. Those things will be announced shortly. But right now we have a brand new website for everybody to go visit and check out. And we also have that new logo, which will be popping up on merch in the future here very soon. The website is a brand new, fresh look, especially for members. If you just go ahead and hit that member portal, it will take you right into where you need to be as a member. I'm very excited about this website. I'm very excited about the logo. That six-finger handprint is exactly what I was looking for. I've been working with a designer for quite some time where I told him, basically, I want a simple, fresh, clean logo. Go. 
And he was like, okay, so we just started going back and forth. We were working with doorways opening and hands coming out, portals opening. And I was just like, cool ideas, but they're not what I'm looking for. I want something more simple, more clean, but it has to say what the show's about. And then it just kind of came together, a handprint, a six-fingered handprint. It represents giants, Nephilims, portals, creatures that exist that aren't supposed to exist, aliens, interdimensional beings. It all encompasses that six-finger handprint. And that is what The Confessionals is all about. The things that aren't supposed to exist, yet they do, six-fingered handprint. And so I'm really excited about this new logo, the six-fingered handprint. I really hope you guys enjoy it. It's exactly what I've been looking for. Something simple, clean, niche. If you know, you know. All right, friends. And to celebrate the new six-fingered handprint, the new website, we're bringing back on the OG of Giants, Gary Wayne. He is the author of the Genesis 6 Conspiracy and now the Genesis 6 Conspiracy Part 2. He has this second volume coming out, and we brought him back on the show. He was on years ago, and we haven't had him on in such a long time, but we picked up the conversation right where we left off. It was like two old friends connecting again, and we brought a heater for you. Gary goes into the Return of the Giants, portals in the relation to giants, angelic technology, giant dogs, giant lions. Oh my, let's get to Gary Wayne right now. All right, today we have a returning guest. This is actually the third time returning, believe it or not. We have Gary Wayne on the show. Gary, how are you, sir? Very, very good and happy to be back with you. It's been a while and uh, really looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, I am too. And so I uh, just kind of lay the groundwork for people. Uh, you were, I mean, I, I think we had you on in the within twice within the first two or hundred episodes, I think, of the show. Yeah, we're now yeah. we've now broken six hundred episodes. It's been a while, and so I, <laughs> I think it's best if we have you back on. <laughs> well, yeah, it's been uh, it's been a while, and I remember I had such good feedback from doing your shows when I was kind of early on in uh, doing podcasts and uh, with the release of, of of the first book. So. Um, and you know what? I'm still doing it and I have another book that's coming out and I just love to provide information and to, I don't know what the best way of putting it is, but to challenge people's preconceived views and not to create sort of wedges and stuff, but just, you know, have you really thought about some of these things? Because most people tend to accept what they're told or what something says something says and we're brought up that way in our education and you know fit in but I'm naturally a contrarian so I have to verify things myself and so as I and I love to do research so as I come across things I'm going well that doesn't quite match up with the standard quote dogma on that issue whether it's secular or religious or whatever and so then I dig into it because I can't help myself yeah <laughs> And, and that's good. I mean, we need people like that in the world. Uh, you know, there's there's people who like to research things, and then there's people who are actually good at researching things. And I I think you fit both categories very well. So, uh, you know, just to kind of lay the groundwork here uh, for people, the first book you had come out with uh, is the Genesis Six Conspiracy, and that book 
the title alone, I think, was a grand slam of a title. I think the content within it um, then exceeds the title, but the title itself is like clickbait. It grabs people. They're like, what do you mean the Genesis 6 conspiracy? And then you just blew people out of the water with all that information. If I remember correctly, you actually had a cut about, what, 400 pages out of that that first book? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was uh, the, the book uh, is 800 pages and it was like 1150 pages. So, and I thought I should whittle it down before I get to the publisher. Otherwise, you know, I had no platform. I was an unknown. And so unknown, high cost, high risk. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I decided that 800 books would probably challenge most people to read and get through and any longer would be just not not. You know, and it was just adding more information in, and maybe a few more rabbit holes and things. So, and what's interesting is, is I had two sets of names. My preferred name was, uh, and I, I, I sort of learned throughout my career is, is I need to have sort of uh, what I want to do and what my backup is because sometimes I get a little bit too motivated in how I want it presented and as opposed to the way maybe it ought to be presented. So the first title of the book was The Antediluvian uh, conspiracy. Uh, and then the, the, uh, subtitle was ancient bloodlines of the antichrist. Mm. And so the, uh, the original publisher, um, not the one that ended up cause they ended up going bankrupt and had to find a new publisher, um, said, you know, it's a great title, except that we don't want people out there when they see the title, they got to go to a dictionary and figure out what antediluvian is. You want to get them hooked right out of the gate. So, you know, maybe is there something less nerdy as I think is how they said it. And I said, well, my backup is this, <laughs> the Genesis 6 conspiracy, how secret societies and the descendants of giants plan to enslave humankind. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's you, have, you know, I ha- you have to sort of rely on the expertise and with the new book, it's also called the Genesis 6 Conspiracy, uh, only this one is sub- subtitled as part two, how uh, understanding prehistory and giants helps to define end-time prophecy. Mm. And so uh, we picked uh, the cover and everything like it for, and I didn't get a challenge on the title this time because obviously that was already branded, which helps. Yeah. And uh, so we picked it, and then the sales force came back and said, well, the cover's too close to the old book. And so the one that's up on Amazon for pre-orders right now isn't going to be the cover. It's going to be a little bit different color. Gotcha. So it gets more differentiated. So, And I actually like the first cover better than the second cover. But again, you have to sort of go with the expertise within what they do. And they're saying, this will stand out more and people won't get confused. I, mean, I can understand their point, uh, you know, and I haven't seen the new cover yet and stuff. But when I when I saw the Amazon link for the pre order, which people can definitely, and I'll put I'll put the link in the description of this episode for people to pre order yep. the book. Uh, it comes. It says here it comes out uh, March twelfth. Is that right? Well, that's the date that they put up to be safe. So what happens in the publishing industry? Not to spend too much time on this is that if you miss a publishing date, the uh, People who control the industry like Barnes & Noble and Amazon, they'll punish the publisher significantly, not just with the author, but with all of their books. So you have to put out a safe date. And there was a paper shortage, labor shortage, and printer shortage. And so they put out a date that they could live with. I talked to the uh, publisher two weeks ago, and it's out of the queue for printing, and it was ready to go in September. Um, and the digital 
one has been available, but the Amazon doesn't want to do the digital release until closer to the print release. It's the way they do it. So there'll be a link up for that for pre-ordering soon. But it's at now, out of the queue, into the printer, at the production plant. And now you get into the production schedule. So we're hoping for early January, mid-January uh, to get it released. And I'm pretty sure Amazon and all the others will, because they've got it up for advertising, is they'll accept the inventory. I know I'll ship books because I'll take inventory right away uh, for people that are pre-ordering for a signed copy. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, people can definitely go check that out. The link will be in the description. I'll, I'll leave the link to the website in the description as well. Maybe I'll even just do that and let people navigate to Amazon if they want. That way they have all the options. Um, but anyways, the, 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 the title, awesome. The cover of the first book, awesome. What I'm seeing here for the second book, I like, but we'll go with the expertise. And uh, yeah. same design, different colors. Okay, gotcha. That's what well, that that works. That works. I mean, because it, it's a brand yeah. then, and, and it kind of goes from what, yeah. like when you look at part two, you be like, oh yeah, that's part two. So that makes sense. Uh, so with the, these topics of conversation, uh, you and I were talking about before we just started recording here, how you know with the amount of research that you do. Uh, it takes you down these 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 paths that you know like they're offshoots, you know. So uh, I found that uh, over the years, following you and seeing you on different shows and the topics you're talking about, you really can talk about a lot of different topics, and uh, it, it it derives from the amount of research that goes into these books. Uh, and and before we go too far off uh, the the books topic. Uh, I just want to prime people. You said that at some point, not anytime soon, you are going to be doing a book three for this, right? That's going to be like a trilogy yeah. or something. Yep. Okay. Yep. Book three. Yep. Awesome. So people can look forward to that. This is not the end of Gary Wayne. This is just the the midpoint at least. <laughs> yeah. 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 Book three will start um, where all the three books start, but it will go into a different direction uh, with prophecy versus where it goes directionally with prophecy with book two. Okay. All right. Awesome. Uh, so let's just jump into it. The, and we're going we're gonna to go down this road of uh, Nephilim, giants, and uh, modern times, I would say, because uh, you're talking about the, the, this idea of the past and how it's being, being uh, prevalent in end times uh, prophecy, which would be uh, modern times, future, at least if yeah. not modern times, if, if you don't want to believe that we're in the end times right now, then at least future times. So how, yeah. how, how, how do these things relate? I mean, are we talking like giants and Nephilim are among us today or what? Yeah, well, and in the write-up in the first book, um, it says, you know, giants are walking among us. You just don't recognize them as giants today and there's a reason for it that book two really sort of gets into that um and it's got to do with who are the giants what was their legacy and their legacy is a genealogy and their legacy is a genealogy of the divine right to rule given to them by their spurious celestial godfathers the fallen angels and so they set up dynastic bloodlines and dynastic kingships that come down through our history. One of the questions I like to sort of get people to understand when I can, and I remember to do so, is when you watch King Charles III being crowned. He's just crowned with an, an ancient right of inheritance. 
and receiving authority for, uh, to a god. Most people would presume that to be the god of the Bible, but not necessarily. It's just a god that it's being sworn to. It's generic in the use of god and it's designed to do so. That they'll take that divine right to rule as the as coming from their genealogical and patriarchal celestial fallen angel, uh, a godfather, um, which created the Nephilim and the Raphaim after the flood. And so that's who they're swearing to. And so when we look at what they believe where they get their right from, and they believe that through that genealogical right of inheritance, this has gone through all through history. It's the same rights that have come down from the Indo-Aryans right after the flood is we need to ask what makes a king, what makes a queen? Why are they given this right to rule? Why are they considered more intellectual, superior throughout the ages? And, and why, even when one is overthrown, another one replaces them? What is that? And in the first book, I call it Rex Deus, or Rex Deus, and it's called The Kings of God. Uh, and in book two, I'll get into how they take that back to a genealogical Nephilim, Raphaim, and a celestial godfather specifically for that divine right to rule. But it's also, they're known as a royale, which is an ancient term. And it comes into English through um, Old French as Roy for king, and Al for a transliteration of El, which is in Hebrew, uh, an angel or a god. Mm. So like Baal, for example, uh, is spelled B-A-A-L, and in the secret societies and Gnostics, they say that translates as Lord God, or Master God, or High God, um, depending on who you're talking to on that. And so you can see transliterations of that in I-L, I-L-U, A-L, then you have the feminine versions, where you might see A-L-L-A-H, um, that's also used, just as you have Eloah in the Hebrew, also used in the Old Testament for the uh, feminine version, usually designed for um, uh, the understanding as the power of God versus a female God, um, because you have El that can cover that off, whether it's male or female, as a, as, as a God. So anyways, Royale is, are the kings of God as it goes back to Old French, but it also goes back to Latin as regal and back into rule, into Indo-Aryan. So this is an etymological route back to the original giants after the flood who would have inherited it from the giants before the flood in that same sort of tradition with that divine right to rule. And they have ruled ever since they were created in Genesis 6 before the flood. And then within... A hundred years after the flood, uh, and before the people of Babel have their languages confused and are dispersed. And so Babel happens about 101 years after, I guess that's more specific than about, but, <laughs> <laughs> but biblically, 101 years after the flood if you do the dating uh, down to, to Pelek. And so there's a hundred years between then where giants are recreated or they've survived and they're repopulating, whatever your belief is is on that. They, but the thing is, 
both in the Bible and in all cultures around the world, they show up again after the flood, this time being created by offspring gods. So, for example, most people might be familiar with Gilgamesh. Um, this is a Gilgamesh that uh, I'm going to talk about, which is after the flood, as opposed to one that was before the flood that was recorded in the Enochian Book of Giants. How do we know there's a Gilgamesh after the flood? Because he is sixth generation after the flood in the king's list, son of Lugalbanda, king of Uruk, and Gilgamesh will be king of Uruk. And his father is Lugalbanda, which is a human male in this case, and a female goddess. And in polytheism, you have both the females and the males, more predominantly the males that are creating the giants, but... Uh, and again, I get a little bit more into this aspect in, in, in the new book. Um, and so he is a demigod. He is two-thirds god, one-third human. He is recorded in the Ugaritic text, which has the same accounting as the Sumerian text. And there's many varieties of the Sumerian text, but they're all consistent on the story, and they're all consistent on the dimensions of Gilgamesh after the flood, who is 11 cubits tall, and as a royal cubit, as Josephus talks about, would be 21 inches, he'd be 19 feet tall, mm. and he's seven cubits wide, I mean four cubits wide, which would make him seven feet wide. Uh, so he's bigger than Og, he's bigger than Goliath, yeah. and he's a dark-haired giant, which is different than the, the, the blonde-haired and the red-haired ones I talked mostly about in the first book, and I talk a little bit more about the dark-haired ones in the next book, and I'll probably really get into the dark-haired ones in book four. So, uh, as Wait, it goes in another four? direction, <laughs> yeah, I got another one in Man, my head you, on this one. You so, are, you're <laughs> thinking so far down the road, it's amazing. I love it. So, I mean, what, what what's the deal then with the dark hair? I mean, like, is this something that is a, a specific trait that you're finding that that um, yeah, it, it this is is this like a different breed then of the red-haired ones? Yeah, it's from a different watcher, it would appear. Wow. So the red hair and the blonde haired ones uh, typically come from the seraphim. So you get all of this serpentine imagery that I talk about in book two within the gods for most of the gods, but they're not all serpentine. And you have serpentine imagery with the kings and the royals all the way down through history. And you have dragons on their coats of arms. And you have unicorns, which is kind of related to where the dark-haired ones might come from uh, as a celestial being. And I cover both the mythical unicorn as a horse or a stallion for the Rephaim and the Nephilim, as they used to go into war, but also understood as a watcher uh, and understood as a cherubim. I won't spend an hour detailing that, it's, but I'll give you sort of people the direction on this. So a cherubim has four faces in heaven, right? It has uh, an ox or a bull as one. It has a man. It has an eagle. And it has a lion. So when you see Anunnaki release in um, Sumeria, you have some of these winged creatures that have a, an eagle or a bird's head. And other ones are look exactly the same, but they have a human head. So they're going to take typically one face when they take a physical form in the physical world. So you're going to see like carobs, 
or sphinxes. They're going to have a lion's face. They're going to have a bull's face. They could have a, an eagle's face, uh, more kind of a, uh, a gargoyle type look, or maybe that's more of a degraded cherubim look, uh, which is probably more likely. And uh, you're also going to have a lion's face. Did I say that? Lion, eagle, human, and um, uh, bull. All of them are related to the religions of polytheism and related to the giants. So you have Gilgamesh, who is described as a dark-haired giant, and he's larger than the Raphaim giants after the flood. And giants after the flood are smaller and don't have as many gifts and have a fertility issue after the flood, but they're distinct from the giants before the flood. So in, with Nephilim, we only get that three times in the Old Testament, as in the field, the I am being the male plural. And that's in Genesis 6-4, Numbers 13-33, where it's talking about the Anakim as the children of giants twice. That's the word in the field, except the Anakim aren't Nephilim. They're giants, but they're Raphaim. And we know that because Raphaim, root Rapha, singular, is used 25 times in the Old Hebrew and the Old Testament for the post-Diluvian giants. And so, uh, in Deuteronomy 2, where it says the Anakim are giants, that's the Hebrew word Rapha for Raphaim, not Nephilim. And again, something distinct, and they're seemingly not quite as large and powerful as the giants before the flood. And just if anybody's double-checking me on it, yes, there is one time in the book of Job where giant shows up, but it doesn't go back to Nephilim and it doesn't go back to Raphaim. It goes back to Giburim or Gibor, the singular, which is used to describe the Nephilim in Genesis 6-4 as the mighty ones or the mighty men. So, you can accept that as a reference to a giant or maybe just a strong, powerful warrior. Um, but the King James Version translates that as, as, as a giant. So you have these uh, Raphaim giants that are different. And you also have dark-haired giants before the flood. So you have watchers creating giants before the flood and after the flood, or they survive the flood, depending on how you want to on how you want to look at that, but you also have them as being larger. And so uh, Gilgamesh has dark hair. Nimrod is sort of conflated into the imagery or the iconology of Gilgamesh as being similar. Um, and I don't know whether he had dark hair or not, but people will show one image and call it Nimrod. Same image somebody else will show as Gilgamesh. And so you really got to dig deep which one is it. And But there's this race of dark-haired giants, and they show up in the Syrian kings. They show up in some of the Greek sections in Asia Minor. And so I think they're coming from the cherubim, as when they take the figure of a uh, human face and they procreate, they're going to look like the father or the mother. And so I think that's where the dark hair comes from. Now, and this is where book four will get into more of it and other things that are really kind of, it's a little bit more further out than I go back to more of the, the really uh, uh, fringe genres in, in, in book four, but they're all interesting. You'll have the whole base of the other books to say, well, hey, maybe that's a little, a little easier to accept now. Yeah. So you have the lion men of Moab. And you have the Ermalu before the flood. So again, you have lion giants and warriors before 
and after the flood. And they're called gibbering, as they're described as mighty ones. So you have the, the line-like men of Moab and Gad and Arioch, one of the kings of the Mesopotamian four kings who come in, in Genesis 14 to war with the Canaanite giants and hybrid um, commu- uh, nations. His name is Arioch. And Arioch's rooted in A-Aryan, and you get that going back into genealogical to the Achaemenid dynasty of the Persians as they take their genealogies back to the dark-haired Aryans. Uh, and you also have that as the base word for Hebrew lion, and it means actually lion-like. And so you have this god in the Bible named Nergal, who has a lion face. That's wild. Yeah, so now if you look at, like, I'll just do quickly on this. I won't spend uh, all, 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 all the show on the different kinds of Nephilim, but you have the, the, bird, the bird-faced ones or the Anunnaki eagle-faced ones. Well, you have Tengu giants in Southeast Asia and China. And if you Google Tengu, you get this warrior that has a bird head. And in the Popol Vuh, you have the Zabalba, which have owl faces, and one is has a branch of the Zabalba, as demigod giants, as being the Kamazots, which means house of the bat. And you Google Kamazots and you get Batman's outfit (laughs) that he wears. (laughs) I mean, it's really weird stuff, right? And so you have also another god that's recorded um, in the same area where Nergal would be recorded in the Bible. That's called Nebaz, which means a barking god. And just as Anubis is a jackal god, um, you have this enduring mythos throughout our history of dog Nephilim and dog warriors and dog men. And so there's another kind that's not perhaps a cherubim that is also creating. And actually with, uh, with Anubis, he creates Sinoopolis, as the Greeks called it. That means dog city for all the offspring that he created that looked like him as warriors. And it's kind of the epicenter for the dog mythos as a, as a Nephilim or a man. That is wild. That is wild. So sorry, I went on such a long tangent. (laughs) No, no, you're here to talk like that's, that's, it's all great. Uh, so based off the information you just shared, I, I, you, you seem to really focus in on sharing information without giving your opinion, but I'm going to ask you for yeah. your opinion. Uh, when it comes to the, the, the dog entities, let's just do the dog entity one, uh, the, the, like that, that lineage. Are do you think that, that what we're dealing with today, when people are saying they're coming across these dog man creatures in, in out outside and, and being stalked by these creatures, do you think that this is remnant? Of yeah, that? I think so. I mean, we actually have these as giant warriors right up till past a thousand AD, and you know, Saint. Um, I'm trying to remember the the saint now. Is it? Christopher, I think it's Christopher, um, who is depicted in Greek Orthodox imagery with a dog's head. And as a somebody from North Africa that somehow is connected back to Canaanites, um, who was this mercenary dog warrior who converted to Christianity. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a residue of that. I don't know how much and how much is myth, but it's kind of like the alien thing, right? Um, you know there's something there. Are all of the sightings legitimate? Probably not. But, 
you don't have to have very many to, <laughs> you only need one to make it legitimate, right? So, right. yeah, I think, yeah. I think that's, uh, at the heart of it. Uh, and there's so much information on, 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 on the dog mythos. I've done a full show just on that. <laughs> wow. I, I, I mean, I think, I think, uh, we, we need to tap into it a little bit here. <laughs> um, the, so the, uh, so St. Christopher underneath this idea, do, do you think then that it's, it's, that it's possible for these, these, I, I just call them entities for lack of better terminology, uh, uh, to convert to like a Christianity faith? And would that be accepted yeah. by God? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Wow. Yeah. So, and we actually get some examples of that. So you have like Uriah the Hittite, um, who would be a hybrid Hittite. And I cover off how the hybrids come about um, in the new book. And they were called Shazu in the execration text of Egypt. So they were seven to nine feet tall. They are offspring of uh, <clears throat> human males that come out of um, the table of nations in Genesis 10 and First Chronicles. And from a covenant land perspective, specifically the Canaanites and the nine patriarchless uh, hybrids, which Heth isn't one of. He's actually son of Canaan as a Sidon. But when you get into the families, they don't have a patriarch. Out of all of the 70 nations after the flood, nine that are listed in the table of nations don't have a patriarch. Well, that's really kind of weird. Um, and everybody says, well, they're just a division of the of Canaan and his two sons, but then they would list a son like they did in all the other sons that are listed in the table of nations, and they don't. The patriarch's not listed. It's a Raphaim patriarch that they intermarried with when they settled into the covenant land. And they did that because of the fertility issue, which is another topic. I don't want to get sidetracked here. And they were seven to nine feet tall, not as tall as Raphaim. So Goliath at six cubits and a span, being king of Gath, uh, would be 11 feet, three inches tall. Og's bed was nine cubits long, four cubits wide, so likely, and he's king of Edrai and Ashtaroth, and made of iron to hold his weight, and he would have been minimum 12 feet, just as a lot of giants in Greek mythology, like Orontes or Achilles and others are around the 12 feet, but probably more likely 13, 14, maybe as much as 15 feet tall, and four to five feet wide, maybe six feet wide, I'm thinking four to five, and also understanding that, that that the giants are stout, and I cover this off in the next book, and I, I foreshadow it in book one, is that they have a height-to-width ratio of two to one. That word stout that's used, and other words that mean stout, that come out of Hebrew, may not be translated as stout, but it goes back to that word to show that they were these wide, muscular, and huge, in terms of height, creatures. And so, when we look at the uh, the the Raphaim patriarchs, there none of them are listed in the table of nations. Rapha for the Raphaim, I also cover them and their patriarch and which god they come from, um, and take that back biblically. Um, they, Rapha is not in the uh, the table of nations, and so some people will say, "Well, that's just sort of generic for giant." Okay, fine, I get that. But there's an MO of eponymously naming a tribe. 
after the patriarch. And in Genesis 14, we get a tribe of Rephaim giants, and we, in Genesis 15, we get a tribe of Rephaim giants. So, it can be used for both. So, both are true. Uh, but the one that stands out is Arba. Arba is the patriarch, according to the book of Joshua, for the Anakim, who are Rephaim, as they're described in Deut Deuteronomy 2. So, we have examples of giants not being listed in the Table of Nations. Also with the Mighty Men, you have a, a Machathite, should be Machathim. That's part of the Mighty Men of David. Now, Mighty, as in Giverine, doesn't mean all of David's men were giants. It can mean strong, or being a warrior, it can mean noble, it can mean a lot of things. It's used 158 times in the Old Testament, not always for a giant. Sometimes it's for the strength of God as it's used. Um, and Gibberah is the plural that would be used to the application of that power for the strength of God. So you have to be careful with the application of, of Gibberim. And so, but Maka, who is a patriarch, and the city of Maka, and the house of Maka, that's in Mount in the Mount Hermon and Bishan region of giants, the land of giants, as it's called in the Old Testament. And the the father of 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 uh, a, a daughter that is going to marry David, that's going to produce Absalom, who is going to create a rebellion to overthrow David and put a hybrid on the throne, um, is all part of the new book as well. But just to give you an idea that Maka isn't also in, in, the, in the Table of Nations. So only humans' names are put in from Noah are put into the Table of Nations, and the uh, patriarchal giants aren't. And so you have another account in Genesis 36, which really nails it, and it is would normally be part of the Table of Nations. You get the Dukes of Edom, and they're not explaining where the Dukes of Seir come from, and they're whoring, which are, as they're described in Deuteronomy 2, are giants. And so you don't have Seir as the patriarch. You don't have Hori as you take Horim back or Horite back to uh, Hebrew as being the patriarch. And then he produces, you know, through Seir, a daughter named Timna, who's going to marry Eliphaz, son of Esau, brother to Jacob, to produce a hybrid giant nation called the Amalekites. Not the giants, because this was Genesis 36, so several generations after Genesis 14, where the Amalekim giants were at war against those Mesopotamian four kings that included Arioch. Wow. wow. When you talk about all this stuff, you really draw a picture that is, is uh, obviously, you know this, it's not talked about heavily in, in modern Christianity, Christendom. Uh, and... Uh, I personally feel like uh, what you're talking about and sharing could really, like it paints a picture that giants obviously were very prevalent, so prevalent uh, that it, it maybe even went to, to the point where the writers didn't feel the need to lay out all the information over and over again at redundancy. Yeah, uh, it was just accepted. Yeah. As knowledge, understood, commonly understood. It was part of life. And, and I feel like... Um, because they they 
when they were writing these things down, I don't think that they were writing them down thinking that thousands of years later we'd be we'd be sifting through it trying to understand things that so that were so common knowledge for them back then. Do do, yeah. do you think that the information that that you've uncovered through the first book, the second book, third book, and the fourth book eventually, uh, do you feel like this information is going to be? Uh, I, I I personally believe this. Uh, do you think do you think that the information you're sharing is information that could really be beneficial and helpful for future people to understand the world that's happening around them? Yeah, and and particularly if we're in the fig tree generation, and what we do you might mean by be. That? Um, well, in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and also in the book of Luke, uh, Jesus gives an oration of the end time events, and he and he provides three overarching. Um, signs as well. One is the sorrows, and those catastrophes will get stronger throughout the fig tree generation, which he talks about later on and after the chronological events that he's providing. And the fig tree generation, all of those events will take place. Heaven and earth, earth will pass away, but his words will never pass away. And then immediately after that is the days of Noah sign. And you need to understand those overarching signs to understand what's happening. If we don't understand that we were created as humans to be the resolution to the angelic rebellion and that the angel, fallen angel's response to that was is to bring Adam and Eve down first in Eden and then to create giants to destroy humankind from the face of the earth to be remembered no more just as the Amalekites wore that oath and then spread that to uh, other nations around the area to wipe Israel from um, the face of the earth to be remembered no more uh, so that the Messiah can't come along to um, raise humankind up as to be like angels in the future time and then to judge these angels, these fallen angels, for the crimes that they committed against creation and against humanity. Um, it's the context for who we were our history, and where we're going. And in the end time, that gets resolved. And so if you're going to understand end time prophecy, you have to understand the context of what happened in prehistory. And what I do in book two is I highlight the terms and the context you're going to need as I'm going through and naming all of the giants that I can find that are listed in the book, all of the hybrids, go through all of the giant wars. Then I connect that into a chronology for end-time prophecy and give you the context I provided you in the first book that give the larger context for what's going to happen uh, in the fig tree generation. And uh, just all of a sudden, things just start to make sense. And it dawned on me um, that I didn't answer a question at the beginning of is is that you know how do we know that they're walking around us today other than the genealogies and what I um, also mentioned was a fertility issue and so what's happened is is they have intermarried throughout the generations because they had this fertility issue and as you do that and you bring in more human blood and DNA. The original features from your godfathers gets diluted over time, even though they're going to intermarry to keep that as pure as possible to prevent blood diseases like Habsburg jaw or hemophiliac disease and a whole bunch of other ones that are associated with too close of intermarriage. Um, 
you have to dilute that to a certain degree. So you're going to get smaller. You're going to lose those serpentine looks. You want to look at Akhenaten a thousand years after the flood, that's a serpentine face complete with the elongated skull. Mm. But over time, they lose that and they lose that height as well. So that's why you can't see them. They're here. They're just tracking their genealogies and their bloodlines and their blood types and all of that fanaticism that you see about all of that for where we came from is for them to track their spark of the divine, that thousand points of light that they're going to try and collect in the end time. Now, how do we know they have a fertility issue? It's a great question, and it leads right back into what we talked about with Timna and Eliphaz, and with the uh, the hybrids of the Canaanites, and others as well, but I'm, I'm just sticking with the covenant land hybrids at this point. So, um, so you have a term that's called... Uh, the terrible ones in Ezekiel 32 in the King James Version Bible shows up in other passages like Isaiah 14. Isaiah 25 is a terrific one on it and elsewhere. And Nebuchadnezzar was the terrible one as well. And he's part of this sort of bloodline of terrible ones of the beast kingdoms, which are Raphaim descended kingdoms which is another reason you need to understand giants to understand end-time prophecy, and that the beast empires are all interconnected with Israel. You have to understand that to get what's going on with this end-time empire that's going to rise, and then the eighth empire of Antichrist. So, um, terrible ones are described as ones in a, a strange dual prophecy in Ezekiel 32, where Pharaoh, a terrible one, a Raphaim descendant thereof as a, as a royale is talking with two groups of peoples in the abyss. One's in the sides, cells of the abyss, and the other ones are the, the mighty or El. These are the fallen angels are in there, but the other ones are locked in the sides of the abyss. And these are the ones who are the terrible ones who were slain on the earth and have gone to the abyss prison. They didn't make it to Sheol or Hades, and they're not wandering the earth. These are the worst ones. So that's the Hebrew word arit. And I am, to get ones, as they translate, as the KJV translators translate it, would be eritim, um, which is important to understand because when now you start to look at the meaning of that word, and why they selected terrible, well, it can mean terrible, but they have all these other giant descriptions. And two other ones that are pertinent to what we're talking about is childless and infertility. Now, we know they could produce females. What was going on is they just couldn't produce enough females. And so in book one, I talk about how females are highly prized to start new dynasties. And that's important because that's what happens in Genesis 36. You have Eliphaz marrying Timna, and they're going to start a new dynasty of hybrids that's going to live amongst the Amalekim of Petra, and it's so sort of eponymously named after Amalek. Um, but this is a dynasty that's new and important, and they become the elven ones or the Aleph, as it comes out of Hebrew, where you have fairies and that fairy bloodline allegories come from, uh, with the Tuatha Dudan and others, as I link that in, in in the first book, to 
try and take away all of the and usurp the Magianic lesson so they can bring about their own dragon messiah mm. to take away uh, Jacob's birthright and his blessings. So three things they would take legally through Israelite law if all the Israelites were wiped from the face of, of the earth. So they had to intermarry or go extinct because they didn't produce enough females. Wow. And in the Ugaritic texts, um, you know, they're trying to bring Baal and Ashtaroth back to create more Raphaim, where Rephaim, RPM, Old Semitic is where you take that root word for Rephaim from. They want them to create more Raphaim and more other kinds of giants for the assembly of the, the Tanu, which is, we would under, also understand as the Tuatha Dudanan. Um, and all the other giants that are part of this assembly at Mount Hermon with the assembly of gods, as Psalms 82 talks about over the 70 nations, both before and after the flood, as Deuteronomy 32 talks about. And so you have uh, them trying to bring Baal and Asheroth back because they're gone. They did the same crimes as the as the hierarchy of angels did the parent gods did before the flood baal is son of el and all pantheons around the world it's the offspring gods that somehow take over usually by killing immortals which is an oxymoron you can't kill an immortal right. otherwise they wouldn't be immortal <laughs> <laughs> and they take over what happened is the parent gods went to the abyss Offspring gods like Baal, Zeus, Anki, Enlil, Osiris, Isis, they do the same crimes. Within 100 years of the flood, they're gone. <laughs> and they're in the abyss as well. And so they're trying to bring them back because, and they're doing fertility issues to do this because they want more demigod, you know, siblings and family and numbers because they can't reproduce fast enough and they also have a bad habit of killing each other off along with the women such a bad habit because <laughs> yes yeah, such horrible habits and what's really interesting about all of that not only to get the reason for having to dilute their bloodlines so that they don't go extinct is that you look at ugarit and you get a direct link to the Bible, and people just don't sort of get that. I mean, not only is it talking about Baal, uh, who has other names and titles, and I talk about up to seven titles that angels and humans can have in the first book. One of his, his names, and it has several different transliterations, is Raphael or Rapuel. Uh, and most people would say, well, what about Raphael and the Apocrypha? Well, there's the spelling's a little bit different, and this is a subordinate title. But now you get the patriarchal name for the eponymous tribe of the Raphaim, who are trying to bring Baal back to create more Raphaim, right? And then the name Arit is in terrible, is in there. And then it's got a prefix that's Ug. O-W-G, and Og is spelled, transliterated coming out of Hebrew, O-W-G, which can mean long-necked and a giant. So long-necked to go with them as part of those other descriptions in the serpentine look and things like that, as some of them had. And shining eyes and the shining ones and, and 
you know, voices that could just shake a room with the, the sound of that voice. You have, uh, a root word for og, which is uwg, which has part of the meaning as part of the name og being extended out of that root. UWG, and you would have dropped that W out of Old Semitic would be UG or UG, and it means round or stout. <laughs> Again, describing why his bed was a two to one ratio. Right nine cubits to four cubits, right? And again, that sort of standard that's being talked about if you're prepared to sort of look at those connections. And so this is, as in Arba, his city was Hebron before it was named uh, Kiriath Arba. And Kiriath means city. So Ugarit would have been Kiriath Ugarit. So the city of Og, the terrible one, and I think what happens, my speculation, and I talk a little bit about this in the new book, is that after the War of Giants, where the Raphaim are wiped out for the most part from Mount Hermon, Og is going to move into the Bashan region, and his cities will be Ashtaroth and Edri that he rules from. And he's going to rule over the hybrid Amorites because the Raphaim are almost depleted as a tribe there. But he's the last of the giants or the Raphaim, and he's going back to his home, um, holy mountain, and where his people reigned uh, almost exclusively uh, before that great war of the giants that depletes them. In the bustling world of podcast production at Merkle Media, Jack is a maestro behind the scenes, orchestrating soundscapes for a myriad of shows. But today, our unsung hero faces a different kind of challenge, Valentine's Day on a Wednesday. Jack's a hopeful romantic with a pragmatic twist. Single? Yes. Ready to mingle? Sure. But tonight, he's got a date with destiny, or at least... A HelloFresh box. Who needs a date when you've got culinary skills? Jack chuckles to himself as he unpacks the box. On the menu, gourmet lobster ravioli with a rich tomato sauce, a meal for two. But Jack is flying solo. More for me. He quips, eyeing the luscious lobster. His kitchen, usually a place for quick sandwiches, is about to witness some serious cooking. Jack, in his apron that reads, podcast by day, chef by night, moves around the kitchen with the grace of a novice dancer. He reads the recipe card aloud, narrating each step as if hosting his own cooking show. And now the lobster enters the dance. He announces dramatically, adding it to the pot. As the ravioli simmers, Jack sets the table for two. Optimistic, yet realistic. One chair remains empty, but he lays out the finest cutlery, a candle, and even a glass of wine for his imaginary guest. You never know, he says with a wink to himself. Dinner is served. Jack, in his element, plates the meal like a pro. He sits down, raises his glass to the empty chair, and toasts, To love, laughter, and lobster ravioli. He takes a bite, and his eyes light up. Hello, Fresh. You've outdone yourself, he murmurs contently. As the evening winds down, Jack, with his belly full of gourmet goodness, reflects on the joys of life, great food, a fulfilling job, and endless possibilities that lie ahead. Valentine's Day is on a Thursday, 
he muses. Who knows what'll happen? In Jack's world of audio stories and unexpected dinners, one thing's for sure. With a bit of hope and a HelloFresh box, every day has the potential for a little magic, even on a Wednesday, Valentine's Day. Go to HelloFresh.com slash confessionals free and use code confessionals free for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash confessionals free with code confessionals free. That's wild. That is wild. Uh, so like, like Gary, because you have so much information and I feel like everybody probably says this to you every time you get on, like, it's like, you could just talk, we could, we could just talk to you forever and and still not tap into everything. Right. Uh, Cause I mean, you like, I'll ask you a question and you'll say like 30 things that I'm like, Oh, that should get a follow up question. I'm like typing things down and then you say something else like, Oh shoot, scrap that question and ask this question. (laughs) It's wild. But like, this is all so complex and um, intertwined with uh, our is. history, but also our current times. And you're talking about the this uh, this uh, war with giants. Are, are, when you when you're talking about that, are are you referring to uh, like giant on giant warfare, or or are we talking about like us warring with the giants? Yeah. Well, when I talk about the war of giants, I was talking about Genesis 14. Gotcha. Okay. Do you believe that, and this might go into the fringe side of things that you kind of referenced for book four, uh, just to let you know, I'm very fringe. Uh, in fact, I think <laughs> fringe is a, is the new term I'm going to adopt for myself. I usually say I'm woo, uh, which is more, uh, you know, uh, demeaning. I'm going to just say I'm more fringe. Uh, yes. So like I, 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 I talk about interdimensionalism and things like that. Yep. Uh, do you think that there is a a war coming with these with these beings, whether they're actually physically gigantic or they carry the bloodline? Do you think that there is an end game here? We should be prepared for all of the above, um, and we can't imagine what's going to be coming. Wow! Uh, and it's going to scare us, and it's going to be like the days of Noah. And I cover that concept off in detail of why we need to understand the days of Noah uh, in book two. And so we have the bloodlines, and that's the easy way. But we get passages, um, you know, in in the Bible that talk about the bloodline. And people say, you know, early on, I would, you know, people will say, well, you know, you're assuming the royales and, okay, it's what they believe, so why should we believe what they believe? And it doesn't really matter whether we believe what they believe, it's what they do with their belief system that we need to be concerned about. But the Bible warns us of bloodlines. And so, um, Isaiah 25 is talks about the branch of the terrible ones that are going to be destroyed on a mountain as an end time prophecy. This is talking about the Armageddon battle. Um, and I'll take, uh, take that to a level um, of understanding Armageddon from the Hebrew to a level that people haven't seen before. And I'm gonna put all the footnotes, the footnotes are so important, they're all on the same page in book two. And we'll be in book three and four because that information for a Christian perspective, you need to have it right in, in front of you. But you also have in Daniel 2.43 this odd passage 
um, that is talking about um, the descendants of the beast kings that are talked about in, in the metallic empires in Daniel 2, and what we would understand is the beast empires in Daniel 7, Revelation 12, 13, and 17. And it's talking about um, these descendants are going to mingle themselves, and this could also, you say, maybe there's going to be a creation of giants or survival of giants. It could be that as well here. We need to be open to what might happen. They shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. No matter how you interpret that, that is a different race, a different kind. So that could also be understood, uh, as you take that back to Hebrew, as a demonic spirit possessing them as commingling, which is another possibility or a larger meaning. But because of the seed part, that doesn't have a spiritual sense. That's a physical allegory for reproduction right um so i think it could be both or it could be either but there's a mixing that's going on there but the and that's in the end time where this is going to happen but psalms 21 8 through 10 is is the most clear and it's talking about uh the fiery oven that god is going to destroy them in his wrath in the end time and 21.10 says, their fruit thou, I'm going to read this, their fruit shalt thou destroy from the earth and their seed from among the children of men. So it can go to the, uh, the bloodlines or it could also be a recreation of the giants. We're also going to have in Revelation 9, those one, all of those that are in the abyss released, and that's before the midpoint of the last seven years. And so that's going to have the worst of the Raphaim and Nephilim spirits, and you're going to have the procreators coming out. And not all the angels are in the abyss. So as we get closer to the end time, they may reproduce more giants because they know their time is really short and to create more giants. And so you have all of these things sort of conflating together. And then right out of the opening of the abyss and before the midpoint of the last seven years, you have these chimera-like creatures as part of the 200 million man war. And what's really odd about that is, is that this is talking about technology that they had in prehistory. Mm where they created chimeras and all sorts of different kinds of creatures. And then you look at Joel 1 and 2, and if you look at, and this is before the Armageddon War in Joel 3, these creatures are described in Joel 1 and 2, and they're the same creatures that are coming out of the abyss, or, or happen after the abyss, and one presumes are connected to whatever comes out of the abyss. It's like there's been an Oikatarian, a dwelling place for these giant spirits in this chimera clone type of body because you need a spirit to operate it. And Oikotarian means a dwelling place for the spirit where habitation in Jude 1.6 comes from or the house of heaven in 2 Corinthians 5.2. And it means a dwelling place for the spirit, which is what they create for their spiritual essence to be able to interact physically in the world. And one wonders whether or not, now I'm into the speculation part, are these creatures from our technology going to be the Oikotarians for these demonic spirits that are going to fight in, the, in that battle? 
because they're going to need a body. Um, so you could have all sorts of variations. Now you look at, you know, it's unfortunate that the New Testament isn't in Hebrew, it's in Greek, because mm. you don't always get a direct connection. But there are cognate words in the New Testament that you can you say, this is talking about the same thing as the Old Testament. A good example would be the time of trouble in Daniel 12. It starts in the last three and a half years. And the time of Jacob's trouble is the Hebrew word Sarah. That's the same equivalent for the Greek tribulation or the great tribulation that starts after the abomination in Matthew 24 and Mark 13, which is Philipses. Um, and it has the identical meaning. So you can make some of those connections, and I do in the new book, and we'll continue to do so to try and link that. And as it comes back to giants, you have these mighty men of the end time in the book of Revelation, and you have similar words that are used for royalty throughout the New Testament. And so you get the mighty men that they're talked about in Ezekiel 38, which I think is the Joel 1 and 2 war, and the Revelation 9 war, who are slaughtered and this is the time of the travelers who come across, <laughs> just as Raphaim and the Ugaritic text went back and forth in dimensions through portals. And just as Gilgal Raphaim has over 100 portals there, but I, I'm continuing down another rabbit hole. <laughs> and um, you have, uh, I'm not sure where, where I got started on this now, but you have... Um, this war that is talking about the mighty ones and the great princes uh, goes and and the mighty kings that are being talked about in the New Testament. It goes back and particularly in the Revelation that leads into the Armageddon War. That is Megas in Greek and Megastanes, which all goes back to giant etymology for its meaning in terms of large, huge, wide, strong, powerful, royale. Okay, we are almost an hour into this, and he finally brings up portal and interdimensional. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I thought you would like that. I was like, I was, I was thinking to myself, my lord, man, you said the key word, portal. <laughs> <laughs> oh shoot, dude! Uh, I, I actually made a, a, a. I've been making so many notes here. Um, so. I personally believe that they, and I don't have the research that you have. I just talk to people and draw conclusions and I'm absolutely happy to be wrong. Uh, but I, I personally have this gut feeling that they are recreating now today. That's how I, how I feel. I've with, just through my conversations with people of their own experiences, their understandings. Um, and I think there's many different ways it's being done technology wise. In fact, I just recently had, uh, Ellie Marzulli on the show, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Uh, and he, yep. he's been exploring this idea of, um, the fallen angels, uh, building an army of, of these, these Nephilim creatures and uh, doing it through interdimensionalism where they're actually taking, uh, uh, abducting people, impregnating them, then taking the fetus from the, the babies later on and growing those. Uh -huh. um, I, I really come from that kind of line of thinking. That's why I meant when I said I, I, I'm very fringe. I'm very fringe. And so like, uh, I, I, that, that's kind of the direction I go with these things. Uh, do you think that that is something that is, and feel free to say no. Feel free to say no, but do you think if that's, do you think that's something that that it could be happening right now? Well, yeah, I think it's certainly possible. Sure, um, and we know um, the occult is just um, you know portals are 
a constitutive doctrine in uh, the occult. And not everything in the occult is false. And so where does a portal go to if there is a portal? Um, so a portal would go to, as the occult essentially describes it consistently over and over and over, it goes to uh, Sheol or Hades, the other world, and when Argatha, all the different names for it around the world. And biblically, you know, at Mount Hermon, there is the gateway to Hades that Baal would go through every day to monitor the underworld and um, the world in the physical world. So, and the Raphaim in the Ugaritic text go back and forth. As I said, there's and there's portals uh, that are associated with the Ugarit, and there's portals at Gilgal Raphaim, and it's just sort of understood. Hell in the Old and New Testament, unfortunately, has been conflated to include three or four different meanings. So uh, it's unfortunate that we don't get a direct translation out. So hell can mean uh, the pit prison that's in Sheol, which is another word that's conflated. So you got those two places and the lake of fire is somewhere different. And then there's another one I won't go down. It kind of goes back to the same dimension where the gods of the fallen ones rule from their heaven is in Nibiru within the earth, another dimension within the earth, um, and in Hades or Sheol. And so when you look at the genealogical tree as an elm tree, which has their bloodlines that connects heaven and earth, and that they're going to do on earth as in their heaven, it connects back down to there. And just as the Thelemic tree for the hierarchy of their uh, societies and secret societies, a more of an evergreen tree, a cedar of Lebanon, um, uh, also connects back down to Hades where their gods are because that's where their power and their divine right to rule comes from. Um, you, you start to have uh, an appreciation that this is a real place. Yeah. And so it's... And they have a technology to transfer from a dimension to the physical world. So when we talk about where Hades is, it's in the same space as in the Earth. It's just in a different dimension. And so they can pass that through. I also think we see things in, from history where we see some gods coming through in this sort of quantum bubble because they're in this orb. Um, to come through on that dimension. Um, and we get all sorts of references that this is a place that they can easily go back and forth from. If you have the technology or the keys, as in maybe the, the technological language to be able to do that. So that's a very good possibility. But as well as in the earth, physically, they would be doing some of this as well. Because... It goes back to their belief system, as on heaven, as on earth. And so they'll be working in joint technology. So what we see, I think, not only reproducing perhaps, and we need to be prepared for that, because if that happens, these things are just monstrously frightful and powerful, just as the Afghanistan um, interview with uh the uh, pilot that uh, Steve Quayle had on Coast to Coast, just absolutely riveting and accurate. Um, 
just you can imagine thousands of these it's just be absolutely crazy yeah. um but you have uh this angelic technology that was before the flood in the days of noah and shortly after the flood that i think this generation is being spoon-fed just as they were spoon-feeding the nazis in world war ii where they got all of this unbelievable technology like you know, Tiger Panzer tanks that we still use as the model today, jet engines, rocket engines, single-winged aircraft, maybe a, a bell-shaped um, interdimensional technology. Uh, and they said they got it from their celestial masters because yep. <laughs> they were talking with them, right? And I think we're being fed that to get our technology up to that same angelic technology that was before the flood, where they could alter dna where they could alter plant genomes and we know that because that word shakath uh, is the hebrew word that is uh, translated in the old testament for corrupted and particularly in genesis 6 and 7 when the whole earth was corrupt that is as an understanding of decay pervert uh, ruin destroy all things that would accompany everything on the earth, not the not the seed, just the earth, which is, is the language that's used. That would mean the plant gen genome, the animal genome, or uh, DNA, and human DNA where it was all perverted, was all corrupted. They're going to do that today. We're starting to see that gene technology. We're catching up. So I think they're providing us this technology to get us uh, in a position where they can convince us to stand against the God of the Bible and all of his holy ones and persecute all those who do not go to their supremacist ideological theology. From, they're going to wipe us from the face of the earth just as they tried to wipe Israel from the face of the earth, just as they tried to wipe the Adamites from the face of the earth. I, I, okay, so I agree with everything you said. and. Um, I, I, I finally, I, I'm getting it now. So um, I have severe ADHD and talking to you is not good for my health because you say <laughs> so much stuff that my brain is just going a million miles an hour. I'm like, no, <laughs> come back thoughts. Uh, so <laughs> it's driving me nuts, man. Yep. But um, so what you just said now uh, reminded me of, I think it was like in 2020, I think uh, there was a scientist, some scientist, I forget, he was making his rounds and these different interviews and stuff. But I remember him talking about uh, how it's here today, the technology, uh, we don't, like me and you do not have a choice in the matter. They can and will hack the human body. And if you think you have free will, you don't anymore. Free will is gone. And so it's like, the, it's this idea that you're talking about, this technology and uh, this, the, the, that's, that's being reinstalled into modern world and it's just yeah. it's this this cycling of what was old back then it is not dead it is coming back yeah well we're told in the book of ecclesiastics there's nothing new under the sun what was will be again and jesus takes the time in his own words to say it will be like the days of noah and those words are identical even though it was written down in greek translated into english to what went down in hebrew translated into English in Genesis 9.29, where the days of Noah were 600 years before the flood and 350 years after the flood. And we need to learn about what happened 
both sides of the flood to understand what's going to happen in the end time. And in the book of Luke, it's noted that Jesus also linked not only as the days of Noah, but the days of Lot. So it's transitioning from an apocalypse of water to the apocalypse of fire. That's going to destroy uh, the end time. That's reserved as Second uh, Peter 3 talks about. You know, uh, you, you mentioned earlier about another dimension within the earth. And I just want to tell, say to the audience, like what you said is not far out. And it is something that is now currently being pushed in the mainstream uh, news per se with like these whistleblowers yeah. like David Grush. He's yeah. saying things like how, you know, these entities, these NHIs, these non-human intelligences are here, but they're not here. Well, what does he mean by that? Yep. Maybe he's talking about yeah. dimensions within the earth. They're here, but they're not here. Yeah. yeah. And in the and in, in the alien phenomena, you have, I think, the superficial pablum they come from other planets. But yet they seem to be coming interdimensionally from portals through the water or wherever else they open up around the earth. And that's really important to, 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 to understand. And there's, an in, there's a passage in the Bible that we can look at in reference to what may be coming with the Antichrist, and it's the Babel um, story. And, uh, you know, in the time of Babel, and Nimrod creates Babel or renovates it, I think. It's a, postal, it's a renovated antediluvian city that he takes over, and he's going to build a tower. And uh, we understand there that the knowledge that he has with speaking one language, anything they decide to do, they're going to be able to do, paraphrasing it. And so typically, Babel is understood as confusion of languages, but has a different meaning in other languages. And that Nimrod was an Antichrist-type figure that imposed a Babel religion, which is the source word for Babylon, uh, the Enochian religion that Hermes gives to Nimrod from the Masonic Polychron sources and histories of legend, uh, provides the Enochian knowledge and uh, religion to Nimrod. And they're, they're going to show that usage of the knowledge to build the city and the tower. But he's building this tower to make a name for themselves. And in polytheist accountings, he's actually going to um, tell God He's going to do these hubris, antichrist-like speeches that if you get out of line again, I'm going to go into heaven and kill you. So don't think about bringing about the flood again. And that all antichrist wannabes are going to want to go into heaven like Daniel 8.10, when antichrist actually does, which is the same timing as the war in heaven in Revelation 12. And he's actually going to throw some of the starry hosts. So this happens in the last at the midpoint of the last three and a half years, just after probably. Well, in I won't go through all the different versions because I could hear be forever ever talking about it, but you have uh, in the Akkadian version, Babel is Babalu. So remember that transliteration of E-L and I-L-U as being a god or an angel. And Bab means a gateway or a portal. So what it's actually talking about in a polytheist understanding is he's trying to build a ziggurat that is thought to be a technology in the occult and we're 
getting more and more indications that there might have been more two pyramid ziggurats and towers built on special locations with ley lines or whatever is going to power these this type of angelic technology that he is going to go into heaven which isn't another dimension but he may also have been wanting to go into hades or sheol to free his new pantheon of gods that he's worshiping both parent and offspring gods and all the giant spirits that are locked in there, which again also happens in the end time with Revelation 9 that they're released. So you get out of that scenario, what was before is likely to happen again, where you have an Antichrist ruling over universal religion, a time again when the gods are walking amongst us, a time again when the giants are walking amongst us, a time of technology that is we're still trying to get our heads around how fast it's coming and where it's going, and another apocalypse. Man, crazy. Okay, uh, I, I want to ask you uh, just a couple more questions, and I'm going to let you go um, because I because you keep saying I could do this all. Like I literally could talk to you for like I, I have my son has a, a graduation a belt ceremony through martial arts in about four hours for the next four hours I could be talking to you you know like it's just like, like I can't let another 500 episodes go by before I have you back I just I can't uh but let me ask you this and and, and it's funny because on my notes here I'm writing all these questions and I just keep defaulting to the most recent question I write down and I, I'm forgetting all these other ones right uh but I want to put this out there because maybe this is a good way to segue into uh, the closing of the show. And then my last question is more um, fun and opinion-based. Uh, sure. How do you, how do, how do normal, and this is you um, maybe putting on your, your supernatural, I'm a general in some kind of supernatural war army, right? Uh, how do normal humans fight in this coming war with giants? Like how, how does this yeah. how does this even play out? I mean, is it like we just get wiped out, or is there a supernatural uh, experience that we have that God comes in and really supernaturally fights on yep. our behalf? Yeah, yeah. I think there's a time to fight and there's a time not to fight, and we're instructed when that happens. When we're told it's time for the patient endurance of the saints happens at the midpoint of the last seven years, and so whatever's going to happen to you, this is the end time, and it has to be ordained so that we can get in and come about so we can get into the millennium. But up to that point, we can logically talk to people and prepare them for what's coming, um, and that's how we fight. We know it's coming. If we are in the fig tree generation, all the events are going to happen. If we're not, we can push it off. But in the meantime, we don't have to do war. We need to be, become very good at planting seeds with people. Mm. We need to get people to do what the churches don't do today. And what they don't do today is teach prehistory and prophecy and give you the whole context of the Bible. They teach a lot of good things without the rest of the context. And so, unfortunately, they're not preparing us for what's coming. And they're going to deliver us up for deception if we're not careful because of that. So what we can do is start to get people to think a little bit differently about, you know, if you think something's not quite right about the world, why do you think that is? Yeah. Start asking the critical questions. And what do you think about a predestined thing to take place? And what would that look like? 
and what were we told? So we need to plant seeds and we need to be not doing things that are going to discredit ourselves. And a lot of people will say to me, but you talk about all of this fringe stuff in relationship with it. And I say, well, it's the context. And so, but it, what I do to try and create and not lose the credibility is provide enough detail and take everything back to the Bible so that people can check and verify what I'm saying. And then if you start to see some other things, and the other thing I don't do, and I think Christians are very, and I'm a Christian, Christians are very bad at this, is, is we start saying the rapture is going to happen now. That guy's antichrist. You know, we're, there's going to be multiple antichrists before, um, and we know this because Jesus told us yeah. there's going to be multiple antichrists. And in the book of John, when you see the time of multiple antichrists, that's the hour that Jesus is going to come. That's the hour of trial and temptation he's going to save us from. Um, and so if you're starting to get ahead of biblical prophetic chronology, and you say, this is going to be the Armageddon War, that guy's Antichrist, rapture's going to happen at this point in time, and you're not right, you lose all of your credibility. And that's also, I think, is part of what the other side is trying to do, is to get Christians to do that so we can be served up for persecution and genocide because we're, they're going to be considered apocalyptic and mundane and not worthy of going into the new Atlantis or the new age as, as Bacon likes to talk about. Incredible. Um, I, I agree with everything you're saying. I really am. And I know, uh, my pastor, he, he listens to my show. That's a funny story because he knew who I was before I walked into his church. <laughs> he's like, he, <laughs> he introduced himself to me. He's like, I thought that's who you were. I was like, Oh man, I guess I found my church. But, uh, I know he listens to the show and I, I know right now he's listening and um, he's, he's probably thinking he like, he's probably thinking a lot of things, but I, I think he's probably finding comfort into some things you're saying, because just not too long ago, he, he spoke about some of these similar topics. And I know he was, he was a little nervous talking about it to the, to the congregation and how they would perceive it. But I think that we're yeah. finding that in these extreme times that we live in, people are more open to more of a quote-unquote uh, atypical extreme answer. Uh, and Yeah, well, and here's the thing is, is that, yeah, there's something going on that we've not seen before. Well, it has happened, but it was the first apocalypse. But, you know, ministers and priests, um, they're not taught prehistory and prophecy, and they're told not to teach it. And so it's new ground, and they're uncomfortable on it because they've been instructed not to, and they may be, you know, kicked out of the church if they if if they do. Um, so those are the reasons why you know it's not being taught. Um, but I would say this to the ministers and the priests. And all the teachers and all Christians alike is that if you think we're talking about supernatural things, I would suggest to you the most supernatural, most preternatural book ever written is the Bible. Yes. And so when we're into the preternatural, go to the source and don't deny what it says. Verify it. I love it. Uh, all right. 
I'm going to end it here. I just want to ask you one more question. Uh, when it, when you when you brought up the fringe stuff in the very beginning about book four being more fringe, is there anything maybe from a thousand foot view? Because I don't want I don't want to just take you on a whole other. But is there anything that you can kind of give people a taste of? Now I just want people to understand. The first book came out years ago, Genesis Six Conspiracy. Now we have part two coming out. Part three is going to be coming out after that. Then we're talking about part four, which is the fringe thing. So I, I kind of want to usher you into hurrying up with part three because we want to get to part four. Yeah. But <laughs> well, it was a taste. Well, I would say, I mean, you're going to get um, everything from how old the earth is um, and a, a better accounting of the differences between the people of day six and um, the Eden account. Um, you're going to get all the different kinds of giants uh, that there are, sort of things that go down into into that line uh, and sort of knit that together, uh, which is going to be the art of being able to do that. But look for something very fringe in the technology thing in book two, where I will connect the mark of the beast to this, this uh, technology that is interdimensional and angelic technology and give you a sort of a how I see it uh, working and all the spiritual polytheist things that are behind it and are controlling it. So, uh, and, you know, uh, I'll get into more of the dwelling um, places of the spirit, which is really important to understand in the Bible and what goes on in the world, and the teraphim. If you're not familiar with teraphim, understand that that is a that's a talking idol that's talked about in the Old Testament. And when we think of not only the mark of the beast, but the image of the beast, this is going to be a talking teraphim. And now connect as to what might be in there as in the invisible ones, as in the demonic spirits. Is AI the talking teraphim? It's going to be part of it. Jeez, I was yeah. just talking out my... <laughs> I didn't expect you to say that. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, everybody. Well, I mean, the, the invisible and the invisible algorithms are called daemons, the the Greek word for demon. Man. All right. Well, listen, uh, <laughs> Gary Wayne, this has been fantastic. Everybody need, please go check out Genesis, Genesis6conspiracy.com. Link is in the description of this episode. If you are somebody who has never even heard of Gary Wayne before today, I highly encourage you start with the first book, go to the second book and start working your way through this. But um, I'll tell you, years ago, I had Genesis 6 Conspiracy on my phone uh, it was like, it was like a, I don't know, Kindle or something like that. I remember I had, I had it where I, I was able to do word searches, which was really cool. And then I lost that account yeah. and then the, the book was gone. Um, and I'm sitting here listening to you talk and stuff. I, I, I already, the pre-orders going in and, uh, for, for part two, but, uh, I'm actually going to get the physical copy this time of part one. And I'm going to get the digital copy too, because the word search with, with all the information you have, the word searching is such a great tool to use your book, not just a book of, let me flip the page and read the next one for knowledge, but hey, I'm looking into this certain topic. Let me see what Gary had to say about this. And you do a word search and it just shows you everything that you talked about in that book. It's a fantastic tool. Yep. And so... Yeah, I, I, I use the Kindle version all the time for word search. It's 
for my own books. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can't remember where everything is. There's just too much information. Yeah. So. yeah. so um, <laughs> if, if I, and this, the reason why I bring both up is this, and I'm, I, I am closing. I've been saying that for like 10 minutes, but yeah. I am closing yeah. with this. Um, the reason why I bring that up is this. Uh, the, the Kindle version is digital. It's very useful for studying uh, efficiently. But yes. I highly encourage people to get the physical copy too because of where we are going in the world, uh, systems being hacked. You don't know if that Kindle version is always going to be available, let alone accurate, yep. because the way they're talking with rewriting the scriptures, uh, there's a lot of things yeah. that, that a lot of books that have been written throughout history that point towards the scriptures that might be re re rewritten themselves to fit the new rewriting of the scriptures. And that's conspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Well, and, and, and again, I mean, I like to have a record. You can't in all cases, like in the new book, uh, but I want to be able to buy some of the, you know, like Strong's original Psychopedia, which is, or uh, other ones are thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. But um, if people look around me in my first book, I mean, all of those books were probably, you know, part of the first book. So I like to have copies. And, and so a lot of those books will be in, in the new book as well. But yeah, you know, there's a, a number of ones that I use the digital copy on, but I want to work my way now to get the hard copy for exactly those reasons, because they're they'll start censoring those. They'll just disappear. Yep. And then it's over. So uh, everybody, Gary Wayne, check them out. Genesis6conspiracy.com. Link in the description. It's Genesis6conspiracy.com. If you haven't ever heard of this man before, check out the first book, The Genesis 6 Conspiracy. If you have, and you already have the first one, the second one's on the way, friends. Genesis 6 Conspiracy Part 2, How Understanding, understanding Prehistory and Giants Helped Define End Times Prophecy. Gary Wayne, thank you very much, sir. Thank you. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, please share this show with your friends. I don't care where or how you share the show. Just share the show. If you enjoyed it, that's the best thing you could do to help this show grow and Gary grow his book sales. All right, friends, listen, go check out the new website. Check out the new logo. If you haven't done so yet, go check out The Shape of Shadows and Expedition Dogman exclusively on Merkle.media. No.com, just .media. Merkle.media. Go now. All right, friends, until next week, stay safe, take care, and remember, the truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. Bye. I'm feeling what shocks us does the sin. We just love what's toxic and we binge. Think we're free when we're on the fringe. But we're lost, yeah, we're lost, yeah, we're lost.
Jesus prayed in the garden while his friends slept Aye. We're just broken pieces to the gold and no missteps Aye. I'm here to break down all your idols, ritualistic yeah. If you don't like it, I don't speak in euphemistic terms Whoa. The world is run by Charles Montgomery Burns They keeping Aye. it hooded like CERN They've done it in thirds before the earth was occurred uh. And all the friction I'm getting is warranted When your chambers don't echo uh. The insurance needed for what I be saying Don't come from progressive or gecko And why are you popping Prosecco? Uh. If you ain't putting in labor uh. I'm taking shots of espresso yeah. Every second I favor more than the last We never get a return on time loss With the divine laws But people looking to wrap it like tacos with lime sauce Hey, I never cared too much what they saying Matter of fact, what I'm saying I ain't here to explain it On the levels all they see but they don't see My creator campaign of politicians For your souls, no debate But top of the next, I'm calling them Benedict Arnold, I got me a chopper Most of our collars are blue Most of us can't even afford one Lining up for new iPhones and Jordans and we praying for misfortunes On others, on our socials, feeling so important yeah, I'm breaking yeah. you down, ain't here to make you feel comfortable no. Just avowing the opposite sex, uh. while creating a monster's hotness uh. These hells we create for ourselves, timelines are nothing but cells uh. Shadows dance on the cave from my master Fires closing in behind us, it don't matter Robots dancing to the flicker, hear the laughter We just think that it's normal in the past, the flame